Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite guilty pleasure, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the Barney to my Fred, Chad Sowash, is in the house. And we welcome today, Georgios Marcakis. Did I say that right? No. That's right. I didn't say it right, Chad. (laughs) Georgios is the managing partner at Venero Capital Advisors. He's educated at Carnegie Mellon and the University of Chicago and a super fan of the show. What? Which we certainly appreciate. Georgios, welcome to the Chad Cheese Podcast. Great to be here. Great to have you, man. All the way from Greece, dude. That is freaking awesome. The breadbasket of democracy. I think isn't that <laughs> the breadbasket? Is, no. is that what we're going with? The breadbasket. The breadbasket. <laughs> <laughs> the birthplace. People listening to the show all over the world, including uh, including Athens, Greece. Including Athens, Greece. We're, we're huge in Greece. Big fan base in Greece. Although there's no Chipotle, so I won't be there <laughs> anytime soon. And, and Greece right. is thanking you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Georgios, a lot of our listeners don't know uh, who you are. Give them a Twitter bio on you. Yes, I'm a managing partner at uh, Venero, like you said, Venero Capital Advisors. We were ranked uh, number one uh, HR tech-focused M&A advisor uh, globally in terms of deal flow, a number of deals. So Venero, we have the largest number of deals in the sector uh, across HR tech and work tech. So anything in talent sourcing, talent management, workforce management, payroll benefits, um, that's what we do. My personal background, so before Venero, I was at uh, Deutsche Bank doing M&A across Europe. And have been focusing on HR tech for the last almost uh, five years now as part of uh, Venero. What got you into HR tech? 
Well, if you're going to be number one in something, it might as well be HR tech. <laughs> so, so, this is, so the answer I like to give is, um, you know, as a young boy growing up in Greece, I've always dreamt of uh, working in HR. What? Wow. Said no young man ever. <laughs> uh, but no, that's not. Um, <laughs> no, the reality is basically we just stumbled into the sector. When we started the firm, we were generalists. And we happened to get one mandate into, you know, in, in HR tech, and then a second one and a third one. And also we called the sector a great time. I think we decided to specialize in the sector back 2019. And at the time, I mean, that was boom year for HR tech. So we got mm-hmm. a great time and just momentum built. So we decided to just focus exclusively on the space. So you've recently been at a conference and you're, you're on the circuit giving presentations, uh, but we haven't had sort of a, an M&A money guy on. I want to know your historical perspective of the insanity that was 2020 through like 2022. What was it like from where you sat when all that money was being thrown around and companies were yeah. just flush with cash? Money what was that flowed like? through the streets and yes, the, the, the true breadbasket. It, it, it was it was trash. So back in so we we go back to that we keep track of things and then you go back to 2016 2016-17. If you look at the um, M and A multiples, so valuations where companies were getting acquired back then, it was maybe two times revenue, one two times revenue, <laughs> and uh, it was very much I think I like to say kind of the HR tech was the the unloved cousin of uh, of SaaS. People just didn't think the addressable market was there. People just mm-hmm. didn't think you know that. HR departments would adopt all these new SaaS tools. But what, what happened over time, if you look at the multiples, evaluation multiples, you see gradually they've been expanding. So from one to two times, they went to you know, three to four, six to seven. And the best year actually for the sector was 2019. If you keep track of the median and the average multiple, 2019, they're very close, the median and the average, which basically mm-hmm. means that in 2019, basically every company was getting acquired at around nine, 10 times. The good old days. The good old days, right? <laughs> and, and that's when we first started to hear complaints from, from buyers and investors about, hey, you know, frothy market, what's happening? You know, everyone's expecting to be acquired those multiples. So in 2020, you started to see the median and the average multiple diverge, which basically means that buyers started to become a bit more discerning. The average was still high, which means that the best in class assets were still getting acquired at really high multiples, even you know, well into double digits, et cetera. And then everybody else was getting more modest multiples. And then uh, 2021, you know, that trend continued. And then 2022 is when we started to see that, uh, that contraction. But 2019, 2021, and even if you look at investing, um, like funding flowing into the sector, 21 was, was a record year for the space. So uh, a lot of funding went into recruitment, a lot of funding went to even you had a, you know, a lot of companies raising kind of in the billions, right? Um, so the, the likes of Access and you know, big private equity started coming into the sector and those guys were investing, you know, hundreds of millions and, and billions into this space. So you had 2021 really being a record year for the sector. So did you see that? I mean, HR is slow to the party. They're, they're, they are slow, finally catching up to, the, let's say, for instance, SaaS or the sales, the marketing kind of like platforms over the years. So was that kind of like key for you guys to say, hey, look, these guys are lagging probably by at least five years. We can jump into this and we can be early adopters when they actually catch the rise. Is, is that what you guys saw? What, I mean, because HR just isn't sexy. Let's just say that. It's not sexy. And look, I mean, I, I'd love to say that it was all planned and it was, we saw the opportunity. And, but it was, it was basically, we just got, had the deal flow. So we went with it and we were a small team at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, it just made a lot of sense for us to, to specialize. And look, at the end of the day, today, 
people think about HR tech and we you know, talk about HR tech and work tech as a superset of HR tech. They think it's a small sector. It's actually quite a big sector. So there's about 15 of us now uh, and still the sector is, is really, really, you know, really, really large. So the opportunity for us was, was big. Um, we caught it at a great time. At this point, we are you know, experts in the space and uh, we're happy that we made that decision back then. I noticed that a, a lot of your deals are, are cross-border. They're global. Um, talk about that because I think it's a relatively new trend. I assume that you expect it to continue. Talk about the global nature of M&A and, and how that's going to be in the future. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very good point. And so again, it goes back to, to the history of the sector, right? When all this funding started flowing into the space, you had mm-hmm. a lot of these point solutions crop up, right? A lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of vendors were addressing specific pain points. So we actually have a thesis. We call that, that part of the, history kind of the period of rapid innovation so a lot of new companies being spun off and addressing all these pain points now of course customers for the most part they don't want to deal with like tens of systems right Mm -hmm. um so so that's when we started to see this consolidation so we you know we went from the, the phase of rapid innovation to growth and consolidation which was you know maybe the last you know three years or so what that meant was that a lot of buyers a lot of corporates would either decide either build a more unified, a more seamless uh, offering, or acquire best-in-class point solution, and so that's what that's what was happening. And of course, these point solutions exist anywhere in the world. They cater to customers for the most part uh, globally. Of course, it depends. There's others who focus on certain geographies, but for the most part, HR Tech is a horizontal, so you know, geography agnostic uh, solution. So, a lot of companies were being acquired, integrated into a broader offering, and then rolled out. Internationally, so yeah, cross borders super typical. And Chad and I talk a lot about sort of the the promise of India, Africa, South America. What's your what's your read on those three areas and what they'll mean to uh, recruitment in the future? Okay, so there's two dimensions there. One is on the uh, on the candidate side of things, and now with remote work and everything, we are seeing a continuation of the trend where you know you source talent from all these regions, right? So India and, and so on and so forth. Africa to some extent, Asia. So, you know, when it comes to talent marketplaces, there you have a very spread out geographically reach across all these geographies. So there's talent marketplaces from Upwork to Fiverr and everybody who have talent globally. So there, of course, India and Asia is very prominent. Now, when it comes to SaaS solutions, and we do have mandates globally. So we have mandates in Southeast Asia and Australia, of course, North America and Europe. With SaaS, it's different. A lot of SaaS vendors who that are you know, headquartered in, in Southeast Asia, for example, they will tend to focus on customers in ta- Southeast Asia. Some Indian vendors try to cross over to the U.S., but that's less common, right? So, uh, Australia, same thing. So a lot of you know Australia, you know New Zealand vendors, they tend to be a bit more local. They'll try to transition maybe to the U.S., but rarely will they come to Europe. European ones in the U.S., there you see a, a, more of a cross-pollination. U.S., you have a bigger concentration in North America and, and, of course, globally. So that's, I think, how, you know, when it comes to SaaS, there is this geographical focus. You know, there's a lot more investment going into Africa. It still, I think, has room to go uh, before it grows out of Africa and into other regions. Let's talk about the invasion of uh, European companies, startups trying to come to the U.S. It's not easy. And a lot of times they don't have enough cash, let alone experience, to be able to make that work. And everybody just thinks it's it's easy because we're just 50 states, we speak the, enti- the, the same language, and it's a big pile of money. But it is hard to achieve 
successful invasion of the U.S. Uh, and then also try to you know try to follow the recipe for for acquisition at that point. So when you're when you're talking to European startups and when they start to get more money, they know that they have to increase their TAM. Right, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a bigger pile of money. So how do we do that? Oh shit, let's go to the U.S. It seems like the de facto, but it's not a successful de facto. Tell us a little bit about that. What happens behind the scenes when you're talking to a startup? You're talking about funding. That funding's growing. It's like, oh shit, we've got it. We've got to increase the TAM. Where do we go? What do we do? Yeah, no, actually, you're absolutely right. It is the default um, go-to-market simply because I think it's probably process of elimination. So people thinking, okay, should I fight a battle? You know, suppose I'm in, in the UK already. Should I fight a battle in France or Germany where I have to get a different language, different culture? You know, it's still Europe, but they're very different. Or do I pick a very large addressable market that's relatively more uniform than, the, than Europe? A lot of companies and founders do choose uh, to go to the US. I think there are a couple of different recipes for success. So the ones that I've seen that are, that are doing this, I think, pro- properly are doing two things right. First of all, at least one of the founders moves to the US <laughs> to build a team there. And the second thing, they get support, they get local know-how from investors that know the market who can guide them in, in building that market. Of course, you need to build up the team from scratch and have unique go-to-market strategies for that. So those guys do it properly. Uh, if you try to, to grow to, you know, into the US from Paris or from you know Munich or I think that's much harder to, to accomplish or to do properly. So what about the other way around? We have US companies that now they look at Europe to be able to again expand. And that's a hell of a lot harder just because of everything that you just said in trying to grow within Europe. I mean, if you're in the UK and trying to grow in Europe, that's hard, right? Yeah. So being a US company trying to, you know, come across the pond, what are some of the recommendations and or advice that you you provide to startups who uh, are, are prospectively looking at that that path. Yeah, yeah, no, we see that as well. And with mixed success, I think the, the most successful ones would be either large companies that open offices locally in Europe. But we've seen companies either make sizable acquisitions in, in Europe and then from yeah. there expand, make acqui hires, right, uh, in Europe, and then use that to expand. You can, you know, acquire business and then make that founder kind of head of European expansion. So that, those are strategies that work. Uh, but uh, what doesn't really work is, is to have a marketing team, you know, sitting somewhere in the U.S. try to sell, you know, do a marketing plan for a French computer. So one thing that we we have noticed in, in working with uh, the House of HR is how they acquire companies throughout Europe, but yet they keep the brand right? To, to be able to give that sense of, we're not changing anything. This is a French company. It's going to stay a French company. It's under the house of HR umbrella. And in the US, we usually don't do that because it's just like, let's cram everything together. But when we started seeing that type of strategy in Europe and then started to do a, a lot more digging and research in Europe, that made a hell of a lot of sense. What are your thoughts around the house of brands versus just the single brand? That has a less obvious answer, I think. We've seen both. We've seen companies acquire kind of relatively well-known brands, but then deciding to sunset that that acquired brand and, and others, you know, keep keep things separate. I think there's merits to both. I think the answer is it depends. So yeah, I, I don't think there's a single right answer for everybody. It depends on the product, your go-to-market strategy, your customer base, how global is your customer base versus local customer base. How strong is the local brand? So I think the answer there is it depends. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating? 
manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions. And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh-huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. Text Kernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, Okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Nachos. Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? There's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. Let's let's get into your presentation that you did at Transform. Some of our listeners may have seen you there. Let's look at the laundry list of, of global uh, headwinds. Inflation, layoffs, uh, dry up of VC funding, tightening budgets, technological disruption, which we'll get into in a little bit uh, with a little thing called chat GPT. I'll ask about that. What's that? It, it all looks like chaos, companies looking for an out, the IPO markets have dried up. This looks like the dawn of the glory days of M&A. Am I wrong? Some of these indicators are leading, others are lagging indicators. But okay, a few things are happening. So when it comes to buyer spend, you know, companies acquiring these kind of SaaS tools for HRTech and WorkTech. What we're seeing and what we're hearing is that at least on the recruitment side of things, at least the vendors that are exposed to recruitment, they're seeing an impact. Right? So they, they have a problem. Um, even if you look at some of the publicly traded ones without disclosing any information on private companies, like ZipRecruiter uh, is forecasting, I think, a 15% drop to revenue this year. Upwork or... Fiverr and those kind of companies, they're projecting kind of a much lower growth, like in the single digits. So, of course, they've been suffering for a while. So the recruitment vendors, they are seeing this impact of companies just not hiring as much. 
And this, of course, comes comes on the on the back of very strong performance in you know last year, believe it or not, right? Because last year, even though the headlines were talking about uh, recession and macro headwinds, last year businesses weren't cutting back on their spending. But this year, they 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 sort of are. Uh, so this is in recruitment. In the other segments, we're hearing about longer sales cycles, right? Um, we're hearing about, you know, CFOs and, and everybody just thinking, okay, do I need this? On the investment side, uh, a lot of investors are asking, you know, before they invest, they're asking, okay, is, is this product a must-have or a nice-to-have? And that's the reality on the ground. On the, on the inflation side, you know, of course, that means that salaries sometimes will... Will need to be adjusted. We we keep hearing about businesses need to you know needing to update the, the salaries of their employees, which increases their cost base, which of course affects their cash burn. And then on the funding side, we're reading in the, in the headlines. It's true, right? Uh, the, the investor, the VCs, they're being a lot more discerning when it comes to investing. And so they'll talk about okay, must have versus nice to have. They'll talk about what's the outlook for the next twelve months. You know, they, mm-hmm. they won't take the longer term view of this is something that's temporary. Right, twenty twenty four could be a better year. They're a bit more, at least, short-sighted when it comes to um, investing this year. I'm going to say, get that Aldi bag out because it's shopping time, baby. Yeah, it sounds like a feeding <laughs> frenzy for the M&A guys. Like, are you feeding calls constantly to get deals done? Are there companies with dry powder looking to say, who's who's ready to sell? Like, it's got to be a busy time for you. Talk about that. Yeah, so on the M&A side, again, two things are happening. First of all, last year, companies just decided not to come to market. Companies were saying, well, you know, I'll wait. I've been reading the headlines. Valuations are down. I don't know what to do. I'm just not going to come to market. This year, you know, we're seeing a big uptake in companies having different conversations, right? They're saying, I'll come to market. I plan to come to market. And usually, there's typically, there's two drivers. First is need. Some companies just need to come to market because of all the other things we talked about, because revenue is being impacted, because funding is is not as easily available. So some companies need to come to market. Others, believe it or not, choose to come to market because some companies actually are doing okay. Their KPIs are fine. And it just so happens that all they're waiting for is for sentiment to stabilize. Last year, sentiment was pretty bad. This year, we found a, a floor. It seems like, okay... We, you know, at least there's there's no worsening of sentiment. So as soon as sentiment picks up a bit, these companies will choose to come to market. Now, what I'm telling you, you don't see this in the numbers, right? If you look at the numbers of announced transactions, you don't see this. Mm-hmm. Why? Because announced transactions have a six to nine month lag, right? Deals that get announced today are the deals that, that were launched nine months ago. But, you know, at the end of the year and, you know, maybe early uh, next year, you'll see that uptick because processes are getting launched uh, this year. So from a personal standpoint and also from, you know, the the organization, what is that one thing that you guys look for in a founder? And and I'll tell you what I I mean. When we first started seeing this, this frenzy, right? We started seeing founders that have huge exits from like marketing and sales. And they felt like they could come into this space and just rock the shit out of it. And they, in many cases, failed miserably. And as we started to see kind of like the recipe, I guess you could say, for a a good organization, Joel and I have our own like personal one thing that means everything for for at least the start. What is that for you? What is that for you from a founder standpoint, from an organization standpoint? Interesting. So instinctively, somebody might say, you know, I'm looking for a founder who knows the sector, 
right? Who knows this, the, the, the sector that they're catering to. Uh, and that's always a plus. A lot of times, though, what we've seen is sometimes the people who know the sector don't necessarily have the best execution or best product you know, in the market. So we've seen that being a plus, but equally, it's not the one thing, right? It's not the one thing. I think the one thing really comes down to personality. I think, you know, it's, it's this charismatic founder, like we keep hearing this from investors or for acquirers, this founder and their co-founder, they're just, char- they have this, you know, je ne sais quoi, if you want to yeah. use French on the show. Bless it's, you. It's, 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 <laughs> thank you. So, it, you know, it's just, you know, this charisma that translates into fantastic execution and the ability to solve any problem that, you know, comes their way. So I think that, which is probably true for every sector, but uh, it's equally true for this sector as well. I have to say that a friend of mine who did sell, Adam Gordon with Candidate ID, he was on every stage he could be on. And again, very charismatic and, and just getting out there. And I asked him, I was like, you know, why are you getting on so many stages? I know it's good from an awareness standpoint. He said, no, it's better for me sharpening my message. And then being able to get feedback from practitioners and, you know, it just, it starts, it starts a conversation that perspectively wasn't there before. So uh, I agree. uh, I agree uh, 100%. So when you take a look at Joel and I every week, and I'm sure you hear it, we keep wondering how some of these companies get funding. It's, it's literally a, a solution looking for a problem. It is somebody who literally has no experience in this space along with, you know, trying to find a, you know, a problem for a solution. When you were looking and assessing, you know, adding uh, someone to your portfolio from a funding or an M&A standpoint, uh, what, are, what are you looking for? What's, what's the beyond just the charismatic piece of it? What are you looking for? Obviously someone in a kilt in Adam Gordon's case. <laughs> If you think about it from an M&A side of things, it's different from versus investment, right? For an investor looking to invest, they look at, you know, the founder, the founding team fundamentally, right? And their go-to-market and their ability to execute. But um, for M&A, it's a, bit, it's a bit clearer, right? So an M&A, a buyer basically looks at their existing offering and they say, what gap do I have in my offering? So they also look at it from a product perspective. So they look at the founder and the management team, but equally, if not more, they're looking for alignment between their own strategy as a vendor and what product the target company is offering. So that's a bit more, that's a bit clearer. What's the size of the vendor of, of the target company? Is it big enough? Does it move the needle for me? What's the product it's offering? Is it good enough quality wise? From a technology perspective, does it fit with my platform? Geography, does it cater to the same geographies that I want to target or the same target customers? That's what, so it's a, it's a bit more um, clear cut, if you will. Well, the founder at that point, if you if you're not looking to make that founder the CEO of the bigger organization, they're going to be out the door anyway. So really, it, it is about all of the assets and, and and not the personnel as much. Exactly. Yeah, the founder typically will stay on for a couple of years to ensure mm-hmm. the transition, maybe hit some earnout targets, uh, and then maybe they stay on, maybe they move on. Uh, it's it's going to be usually it's their choice. You've been doing this for a while and. Diversity has been a hot topic for the last few years. From your perspective, are we seeing a healthy trend toward more diversity with founders, boards, etc.? Are we are we making progress on that end, or, or does now look like it did mostly like it did ten years ago? Yeah, on boards definitely. And uh, actually, here I'll, I'll plug uh, the boardroom, which is my sister actually uh, launched the boardroom uh, out of Switzerland, which is basically you know supporting uh, gender diversity in the boardroom. From a founder perspective, there's been a big push for non-mainstream founders to, to raise funding. So that, that's definitely been a positive. 
Now, to what extent that has translated into actual you know, major exits, et cetera, I think it's a bit early because usually, remember, it takes quite a few years for a new company, a newly funded company to make kind of headlines through an exit. But look, I think at least we're doing the right things when it comes to talking about it, creating new funds for these types of founder, uh, founders. So at least we're doing the right things. And I think the next few years, we'll see the results of, uh, of today's actions. So we saw you last uh, in November in Paris at Unleash. Uh, a little thing called ChatGPT launched uh, back in November yeah, yeah, and has had, yeah. <laughs> had some impact. You may have heard of it. So in your LinkedIn post, uh, you said, quote, generative AI will disrupt the future of work more quickly than people anticipated, and the impact will be more pronounced. It seems to be catching a lot of people off guard, end quote. Talk about generative AI and what it means uh, from our, where you sit. All right, first of all, let me just say I'm not a finance person. I'm not a tech person, right? So, although I do have a master's in computer science. <laughs> Studied at Carnegie Mellon. I don't know a thing about technology. Yeah. <laughs> As I jokingly say every now and then, I do have a master's. But look, uh, we think there are two, and of course, AI has been around for a long time. Right? And a lot of vendors already use AI uh, in their tools. And they use what we call predictive AI as opposed, to, as opposed to generative AI. And we think there's two fundamental you know, aspects that make this different. Right? The first thing is that applications like ChatGPT, Chat they're iterative and interactive. So up until now, with predictive AI, you, know, you would give the AI an input, it would spit out an output, and that's it. Right? Mm -hmm. It would be explainable and all that, but that was it. Now we're talking about something that's interactive, that's iterative, that it improves the results in a, in a user-friendly and iterative way. And we think that's the, the one thing that is, you know, initially very different. It will improve the user experience uh, dramatically. So that's one point. And the second point is that the barriers for AI are being lowered significantly. Up until now, to build AI, you needed to have experts and money and data scientists and access to data and servers and you had to train it. And then now all these barriers are being lowered. So what's going to catch people off guard is that AI will become mainstream, right? Today, you know, companies that use AI, relatively few, and they have a competitive advantage. Soon, everybody will use AI and those who don't will be at a disadvantage. It's a shift in the, in the mentality of the competitive landscape. And of course, this will change the competitive landscape dramatically. AI will no longer be a competitive advantage. You need to find a different mode for your competitive advantage. Uh, so I think that's what's, what's going to catch people. And of course, there are some vendors that will be completely disrupted, but that's a different, that's a whole different <laughs> you think? story. Yes. You so, think? Giorgio, so last question, the hardest question of this entire interview conversation. <laughs> Why do you listen to the Chad and Cheese podcast? Is it because we're a couple of bumbling Americans and we're funny to listen to? Or why? What, what is it? I, I don't want to feed. I don't want to feed you with reasons. But Chad needs a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Well, first of all, you guys make it interesting. I think I've listened to other, I mean, no offense to others. They, but they all guys, suck. No, I get it. It's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> you, make it, you, know, you make it interesting, right? You bring on very interesting guests. And for me, it's just an, an interesting and fun way to, to stay up to speed with what's happening in the sector. So as a finance person, that's my, you know, I listen to it. I enjoy it. I have fun and laugh with you guys. And also it's informative. So that's... Uh, that's he, yeah. he, has a, he has the same hairstylist as you, Chad. That's why yes. he listens. Is there going to be a video with this? Because yes, that's true. <laughs> it's sexy. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That is Georgios Marcakis, everybody. Georgios, for our listeners who want to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? The narrowcapitaladvisors.com or on LinkedIn, Georgios Marcakis. Yeah. 
I'm a lot smarter, Chad. I don't know about you. Georgios, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Hopefully we can see each other face to face again. Amen. We'll be over uh, a few beers this time. Chad, another one is in the can. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chad and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuckleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt, but save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.